Loans give people more financial security. If people know that they can receive a loan, they will be more willing to take intelligent risks. A loan can allow for a short-term investment that pays off enough to justify the interest rate on that loan. For the lender, a loan can be a fantastic return on capital, as long as the lendee does not default. When banks were the rulers of the financial infrastructure of the world, most of them would err on the side of caution when it came to lending. They would adhere strictly to credit scores, and a wanting customer would be out of luck if they did not have a credit score, or if their credit score had gotten lower than acceptable. Newer fintech companies are taking advantage of data sources other than credit scores. They are using machine learning in conjunction with these new data sources to find viable lendees who would be overlooked by traditional institutions. Ofer Mendelevich is the VP of Data Science at LendUp, and he joins the show to explain why loans are important, how LendUp functions, and the machine learning systems that power an intelligent system of lending that works not just based on credit scores, but based on additional information beyond credit scores. Ofer Mendelevich is the VP of Data Science at LendUp. Ofer, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hi, uh, glad to be here. Today we're going to talk about the idea of lending and the service that LendUp provides and the infrastructure that you have built up around it and kind of the goals for the future, including things around data science and data engineering. Let's start with the product use case. What kinds of loans does LendUp offer? Thanks for that. So the, we, we are a company that has a very strong social mission, and our mission is really to help people with what traditionally is known as subprime or low credit scores that often get uh, excluded from the financial industry. So our products are targeted at that. We have loans that are alternative to payday loans uh, that are um, targeting that population of people who have low credit scores. We also have a credit card, an unsecured credit card that helps helps people who have who otherwise would not get a card. Uh, we also offer education classes, free education classes to our customers uh, to help them get uh, financially more fit and, and get, get to a better financial health. What's the user experience for getting a loan? Really, we're an online lender, so the user experience is pretty straightforward and simple. You go to our website, you go through a couple of questions that we collect some information about you that we need, and really, you, uh, everything is automated, so you get, you know, once you're approved, you, you can get the money directly to your bank account. Very simple. And what's the payback structure for these loans? What do you mean? So, like, how long, so, like, if a user goes on, they get a loan, like, how soon do they have to pay it back? And, like, kind of what's the, you know, do they pay it back through an app, or how does that work? Yeah, so, uh, well, the, the loans also are, the, there's different states in the U.S. that have different regulations about sort of the different structure of the, of the loan. So I'm not an expert on sort of all the, the legal details of that. But generally, you get the loan and there's, you get a, what's called in the industry a loan agreement and that, that tells you, you know, when you need to pay it back and, and how much. And once you're ready to do that, you just usually automatically the money goes back from a bank account so you don't have to do anything you just have to make sure that the money's there cool okay so let's get into some of the engineering Could you give me an overview of the lend up technology stack 
we have uh, built a technology stack that really is a key to our, I, I guess, to our competitive advantage as a, as a fintech company. You know, banks are traditionally, honestly, not so good in technology, and they'll, they'll admit that to you. And so one of our uh, kind of te technological, technology-based agendas, I would say, is to try to, you know, being a Silicon Valley company based in San Francisco, is to try to build this uh, technology. So let me talk about a couple of different aspects of that. And I'll, I'll touch on data science a little bit later too, but if I start on the kind of engineering and data engineering parts, if you think about lending, there's a cost of lending. So when you automate all of the things that traditionally are based on paper and process and don't fit in a database, it gives you a huge advantage in terms of being able to track everything that's going on, automatically being able to uh, run analysis on it and being able to provide an automated very uh, streamlined process to our customers. It also results in just lower costs. So if you if you have loans that are very small dollar amounts, like you know $300 or $500, and the cost of originating a loan is high, that goes back to the customer ultimately, you don't want to do that. So it's really key in the kind of space we operate in to have a very low cost of origination, and that's what we build the, the software platform on top of. I don't know how much deep, if you want to guide me into more specific areas we want to go to, because sure. it's, it's can, a very long conversation. Absolutely. No, I can guide you into more, more areas, and my map for this conversation is sort of, let's get an idea for the business logic infrastructure, and then we'll talk about the data science pipeline, the data engineering, and we'll kind of figure out the best way to wire those two sides of the engineering stack together. So let's just let's take it from a top-down perspective, from the user-facing perspective. If I'm a person applying for a loan, what is happening on the back end? When I make a request for a loan, what are the, the, the different endpoints that are being hit and what happens? It's actually relatively straightforward, as I said earlier, in terms of you have a you go to the website, there's a very nice user interface that welcomes you and you fill in your application. Everything you fill in goes to some backend storage and, and gets stored in a, in a form of a, some database. And you go through the steps. Generally, as a lender, you have to check for a variety of different things based on some regulations. But ultimately, you get to a point of decision where the lender looks at your credit history and credit data and makes decisions. So we, again, automate all this process. We look at your credit data automatically and make a decision whether you're approved or declined for the loan. And then once you're approved, you're sort of a customer. So you can go into your account, you can check what's going on, you can look at you know, when your due date is and, and other things you can do. You can take the education classes. So that's on the loan side. On the card side, we actually have also, it's, it's a little bit different, right? It's a credit card. And like you can imagine, there's all kinds of uh, user interface there. There's a mobile app related to that. And so that's, uh, it's just a different interface there. So imagine when I am applying for a loan, there are a series of checks that are taking place on the back end to determine whether I qualify for that loan. And I imagine that some kind of machine learning model you have set up for 
what constitutes a good customer and what constitutes somebody who is not likely enough to pay back the loan to be worth it. Give me an overview for how that machine learning model is built. Sure, and that's that's really a key area that, you know, in the data science team we focus on. So when you so that's right, when you apply for a loan, and especially in our space of of subprime credit scores, the what people think of the traditional credit scores don't operate as well as as we would like them in terms of identifying credit risk. And so the way the the scoring engine works is you you have a model that's been designed and developed that can identify risk of giving somebody a loan or giving somebody a, a credit card. In term, the risk being that they won't pay it back, right? That they won't pay it back the loan. And so very simply, you go through the application flow. At the end of that, there's data being pulled from a credit file, and that data is then used to goes into the model, the model creates a score, and then through a credit policy, you decide how to use that score in order to make that decision. Now, the traditional ways of doing credit scoring, are those actually useful? Because I remember I've looked up my credit score before, and I think it was like really bad. And I was like, who, who's making this, this score? Like, I think I'm pretty reliable when it comes to a loan. It just seems like this ambiguous amalgamation of data is a credit score actually useful yeah i mean it is useful i think the 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 two credit scores that are sort of industry standard that people use most often are fico that people mostly know and there's another one called vantage and they're both scores that are being uh, generated and tuned based on a lot of historical data and all kinds of data including other credit cards or auto loans or mortgages or other credit lines that you've had in the past and how you behaved, how did you pay back or not. So they are useful, but then, you know, as you, if for you they're not accurate, that, that could be the case. Uh, you know, it depends on how you measure them. But fundamentally, one of the things that's important for us at LendUp is that the credit scores are kind of, they separate risk over the whole population of the U.S., but if you want to look the subprime, uh, we found that we need to do a lot more work and create our own credit model and our own internal score uh, to be able to use it effectively to to run the business. And when you're referring to subprime, my understanding of the situation is basically there's this large category of people who are, uh, you know, earmarked as subprime lenders, which means they're not the top, you know, quality people he would lend money to, but for a long period of time, these people were just offered terrible deals like payday loans that just had these insanely high interest rates, so they couldn't get reasonable loans, which creates a market opportunity for people like LendUp to come in and say, well, you know, we can actually look at these people with a closer magnifying glass, and we find that actually there's a lot of great opportunities for positive expectation lending. Yeah, and subprime is a kind of a term that's often means people with, I don't know, roughly a credit score of 680 or 650 or below. It depends on who you ask. It's not a, like, a, like a complete standard that kind of shifts over the years a little bit. But it really, what it means is that a lot of lenders just in the, in the financial industry just don't 
operate in that segment. And so you're right. So if you go to one of those lenders and you ask for a loan and your score is just below that, they'll just have a threshold and they'll just say, sorry, we can't give you the loan. And that's where, you're right, that's where our market opportunities. We're trying not just to provide a, an opportunity for those people to get access to the, the, the money they need, but also to improve their lives. And the way I think about it is, is in two different ways. Their lives, I mean, their financial lives in terms of a lot of the problem with the traditional payday lending is that it, you're in a bad situation in terms of a credit score. You have a, a low credit score and you get stuck there. You don't get better. You don't have an opportunity to get a, a credit line or a credit product that allows you to report your, your payment on time back which increases your credit score. You only get access to the payday loans, which don't allow you to do that. And so one of our goals is to help you get back on your feet and get back to uh, increase your credit score. The other big uh, problem I think that exists too that is now maybe uh, very front and center in, in the industry is uh, the issue of uh, volatility. So. A lot of people have very volatile income and in many cases volatile expenses as well. Maybe it's because of the gig economy, maybe it's because a lot of other different factors. But the truth of the matter is that if you, have, if you don't have access to, to money and you have some unexpected expense that you can't pay because you don't have any buffer or any savings, it's a really tough situation. Right. Imagine that you have a uh, an income that's fluctuating. Could be, you know, a thousand dollars. Could be fifteen hundred. Could be five hundred, depending on many uh, how many hours you, you get to do in, in your job. And then you have some unexpected ex- medical expense, or maybe your your tires in your car break down, and this is something you need to get to your job. So it's a it's a really tough situation, and so a lot of people really need help just for a temporary period to be able to come back and get back to to a normal path. In order to model a lot of this stuff to get a finer granular amount of detail, there are a lot of companies in this lending technology space, which I think is just fantastic, you know, in this web 2.5 or 2.0 or 3.0, whatever you want to call this era of the internet, We've seen so much innovation in financial technology, and and the ones in the lending space are are quite interesting. And it really is a deep data science problem. You've got these companies like Tala, which I know goes deep into this, the, like the cell phone information. Like you know, I, I don't know. If, have you heard of this company, Tala? Tala, no. So they do something interesting where you you if you're a person in. I think they typically, most of their loans originate somewhere in Africa. Uh, you install Tala and it looks at your cell phone things that you've done, like games that you have installed or programs you have installed or, you know, do your contacts have a first name and a last name? And they get really good signal of how qualified a lender is based off of like the you know do you have a clash of clans installed like if you have clash of clans installed like maybe you're not as good of a loan you know maybe you're not a good, as good of a loan candidate and then there's also companies i know that are doing stuff around social network data like they mm-hmm. 
you know, say that, okay, there's a, certain predictions you can make around social network data. So my point here is that there's so much potential integration with third-party data sources, not just these FICO credit scores, but you've got social media data, you can have cell phone data, you can have other kinds of data. How much of the the edge that LendUp has is about those integrations with third-party data sources? I don't know of Tala, but I've heard a lot about other companies who use all kinds of this, uh, what they call alternative data. And there's a big problem with that. So uh, to be clear, we, we don't utilize such data in our models because, uh, frankly, there's a there's a big problem, and I want to actually talk about it because it's an important point. The, the idea, I think, behind those usages of, of uh, alternative like social media data and things like this is that it could be more predictive. But remember that there's two really important key pieces in, in lending. One is non-discrimination. There's a regulation called ECOA, Equal, uh, equal Opportunity uh, for Lending. And the idea is not to discriminate against different protected classes of, of individuals. The other one is, is called FRICO. So I want to talk a little bit about both of these. We don't have to understand all the details of them, but I want to give you the high level. So when you use such data, you have a problem of potentially of are you discriminating against a protected class, like you know male versus female or you know people who are younger or older, things that are, you know, not really legal to do in the U.S. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but you know that's kind of my understanding. So you wanna, you have a very high risk if you use such data for for lending, but also you could just be doing something bad, you know, to the population. So I think that's although it sounds from a puristic data science sort of perspective, like very cool and everything. I think it's a lot of risk. Think about it also from the consumer's perspective. Like if you get declined for a loan because you don't have enough friends in Facebook, how, how is that really fair? Or maybe you have too many friends in Facebook, or maybe you do use Clash of Clans or you don't. Like it doesn't seem like the, you know, the right thing to do, right? Does it make sense? I'm not sure if I completely agree with, with it, but I mean, I, I see where you're coming from. I don't have a strong opinion about it, but I see where you're coming from. Yeah, uh, it's, 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 it's just not the right thing to do because if you want to help people in general and be like, like a good actor in, 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 the, in the industry, I think that's something that's just, you know, generally, again, I don't have anything against this data per se, but I think it uh, has a high risk of being problematic in the context of lending. Yeah. Okay, well, so, so you are, so LendUp then is focused just on, is it just like better usage of the traditional data sources, like like a better understanding of, so like, you know, okay, if you compare yourself to a traditional lender that's just looking at the FICO scores and if, you know, if it's subprime, they only offer them payday loans. I mean, what what's the, can, give me some more color on, on the difference between LendUp and the other lending models. Well, I, I can't talk at a lot of details about this because we, we keep this pretty close to our chest. But I would say in a high level that where we, you know, where we do better is that we just, we just apply a lot of more complex techniques to our lending with uh, look at the data more carefully. And we also use some other data sources that are not the ones you mentioned, mm-hmm. not social media or anything, but ones that are approved and are you know, more fair and, and compliant and that is not your 
regular credit scores, but additional sources uh -huh. of data. Can you can you give an example? Is it like real estate data or credit or uh, like credit card usage history data? Like what exactly? Unfortunately, I can't get into details. I'm sorry. I see. Okay. Well, can you maybe talk about? Okay, so how can we get to a place where we can talk about the the data science without talking about the data sources themselves? Maybe you could talk about the the data science stack or your data engineering pipeline. Yeah, absolutely. I'm. And actually, that's a really interesting point. So another thing with financial institutions that I think if you think about high level, that's really important is to be really accurate because you deal with money and people's, you know, cash flows in and out. And so one of the things related to data science and modeling is, and that's a problem that I've seen even, you know, outside of Lendup in a lot of areas that's very a common problem for data science stacks is, the ability to transition models from kind of development to production. And specifically, imagine that you're a data scientist and you work on a model and you, you develop your model, you validate your model, you think it's really good, it's better than what was there before, and then you want to launch it to be decided on. And so one of the things that often you want to do is you want to have some scoring engine. And a lot of companies struggle with that because they either use tools that don't have a scoring engine associated with them or, I mean, the open source community has a lot of data science tool sets, but scoring engine is starting to appear a little bit. So we had up build actually our own scoring engine, and that's a really, really cool tool. We call it Leviathan and uh, internally. What it allows us to do is when we finish up a model and we want to launch it into production, uh, it's really like a a really cool sort of software engineering friendly type of tool where you can essentially serialize your model, send it to Leviathan, give it a name, give it a version. And then when you, and, and it guarantees that when you actually score with this engine on people who come to uh, be decisioned on for, for loans, you get exactly the same model uh, behavior that you expect to based on what you did in your uh, development environment. So that's a really, really important tool, and getting that right is, is not easy. So, but I think we've invested a, a ton of effort in getting that tool right, and I think we, I could say that we're really proud of, of the tool that we have right now. Sure. Okay, so, I mean, the machine learning deployment, model deployment process is, is definitely interesting. Can you talk any more about the actual model building process? In terms of how the data scientists do it, or what do you mean exactly? Well, sure. Like, you know, so for example, it's kind of a, a, a problem I think might be an analog. You know, we did a show recently with uh, Coinbase, and mm -hmm. they were talking about detecting fraud. And mm -hmm. the model for detecting fraud is they build, you know, a model, they build basically a vector that is a prototype vector of a fraudulent user, or it might have been a prototype vector of a non-fraudulent user, one or the other. And and then any user that comes through the pipeline, they model that user as a vector as well, and they do some kind of similarity measurement between the two user types. And and if they're if it re, if it's of a certain threshold, they say, oh, this is like we flag this as a fraudulent user or you know, or we, we and and we decide to to not you know let them transact on Coinbase, or maybe we you know kick them to a 
manual review queue. And I guess I'm wondering if there's some sort of similar process within LendUp where you model a, you know, a prototypical good you know, good candidate for a loan, and then you compare it to any recommendation, any any person that comes in and is 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 making a request for a loan. Is is it a similar process to that? Uh, it's not a similarity metric kind of. It's more aligned to what is known as supervised learning. If you're familiar with that term, sure, yeah. Where you just uh, take some historical data and you build a predictor of let's say uh, if somebody will repay you the loan or not, right? So you can build that uh, using data. And again, I, I said earlier, I can't talk about details, but in general, that's where a lot of the, the interesting techniques come to play is how do you do that in this particular area? What data you put into the, the training set? What variables, how many, how many instances you get? What other things you do in the background is kind of where uh, a lot of the, the fun stuff gets done. Okay, how do you measure success of a model? Cuz if you you know, it seems like you would have to wait to to have those loans paid back to run a successful experiment. Maybe you could talk more about whether you know your new models are improvements over the old models. Sure, uh actually that's a really really good question. You know, in lending, there's a lot of different products that, I mean, you can get a, kind of the loans that we have, which usually are very short term, as opposed to, let's say, a mortgage, right, which could be like 30 years. And so I think part of our business lends itself really well to that because the, the short period of the loans allows us to react quickly and learn quickly and understand the performance of the loans. And if there's something wrong, we can, you know, remediate it pretty quickly as well. So the, the, the target that we look in the models often is whether you're paid or not. And if, if the loan is for a month or six months or, or something like this, you can, you can, it's still a reasonable amount of time that you can actually un- understand it and learn from that. Okay. And can you talk, talk about how you formalize that within the, the company? Like, do you have like a rollout process where you say, okay, we tested this model for this period of time and then we're going to get feedback and maybe you could just talk about the experimental feedback loop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's something that often is called model governance, which I think is a good way to think about this. So when you, do, when you launch a model, you want to be sure. Uh, I often tell people in other industries of, that deploy machine learning and data science, let's say advertising, I've spent a bunch of time in advertising before this, and if you make a mistake and deploy a bad model, that's, the implications are also pretty serious, but in lending, you actually give people money out. So it's, it's a little, I think of it as a little bit more uh, harsh, so to speak. I think model governance is sort of a process that helps you make sure that when you deploy a model to production, it really works well and you have a lot of checks and balances to make sure that you don't make a mistake. And so through that, there's, there's reviews, there's you know, peer reviews and there's team reviews and there's a lot of different steps that we go through to ensure that the model is safe to deploy. It's, um, I guess there's compliance checks you have to do to make sure that it's compliant with relevant regulations and things like this. And so we've developed a, a set of this, kind of an instance of this process that fits our technology stack and our uh, processes and sort of culture. And 
we use that uh, pretty rigorously to to make sure that we, we do this right. All right, cool. Well, getting back to LendUp, what about data cleaning? Do you have much of a necessity to data cleaning, or it, it sounds like you have a you have a um, a variety of data sources. So, what does your data cleaning process look like? Sure. Yeah, data cleaning is a really important piece, and as I said, we get data from kind of more credit related data sources, but so a lot of the data is pretty uh, cleaned up by the providers of the data, but not all of it. So I, I'd rather maybe talk, not just the data cleaning, but maybe data pre-processing, which includes cleaning, right? Mm. So a lot of the, a lot of the times you get, you get data that has, for example, missing values. And that's a really interesting problem to solve, right? So it's not the data is wrong, but it's not existent. And that's a, uh, a, a typical problem that you want to address and addressing missing values has a lot of different ways you could do that. It's often very problem dependent. Not all these techniques work as well on all different cases and none of them are perfect, but some machine learning algorithms just most of them can't deal with like you know, null values. And so you have to do something about that. I can give an example, um, how that works for, uh, from, let's say, one example I like to give is from the healthcare industry. Imagine that you build a model to predict whether somebody has, for example, some disease like uh, diabetes. And so if you, one of the, the variables you might want to look at is their glucose lab, which is uh, very indicative if, if you're diabetic or not, uh, to what I hear from my doctor friends. So... But a lot of people, a lot of patients you would look at, at the records, they would not have any glucose lab because they've never done this before. So their value will be non-existent or null. And so what are you going to do? Well, you could, an interesting technique that's very common is to take the average of the values that you do have. Uh, but that could be problematic because you might take the average uh, of all those who have a have taken it, which may be more likely to be uh, have diabetes in the first place. And so you have a bias in the, in the estimate you have. You can take an analogous example of what if you don't, if, if one of your variables is, let's say, uh, a credit score like FICO and the, the value is null uh, because that person doesn't have a credit score yet, uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to take the average of the rest of the population? Maybe, but, you know, there may be better things that you could do to make sure it's not biased towards the average of the population. Hmm. So let's, let's zoom out a little bit. I, I want to talk about the business model and some of your long-term visions about the company. What, what is the business model for LendUp? So, I mean, we are building a, a big company that will really help people in the in the same segment I talked about three times already in the, the low credit score, but we want to give them products of different kinds. We started with, with, with what we thought was the most uh, serious problem, which was payday lending. So we developed an alternative to payday lending. Our second product in this space, a financial product, is the, the credit card. But the way I see us grow and continue to evolve is to become a, um, a company that provides various kinds of uh, maybe other financial products in the future, again, to, to people who have low credit scores and don't get access to these products on a, in the regular financial system. 
have you seen any interesting statistics on the lenders from your experience working with them so far on LendUp? The lender, the borrowers, you mean? I'm sorry, the borrowers, yes. <laughs> yeah, actually, I can share a bunch of different statistics. We do, we have a social impact team and a bunch of other teams that look at a lot of the statistics and, and research and talk to customers and borrowers and things like this. Hmm. So, for example, I mentioned that this is a big market before in terms of a lot of people are subprime. So I think 56% of Americans are generally described as having a subprime, subprime credit score. That's a, that's a huge number if you stop to think about it for a second. That's a lot of people. And, and this is why we think it's a really, really big problem and a really, really big market that the, the, the traditional financial system just kind of ignores, honestly. There's also a kind of a lot of interesting data around what happens with these people? How are their, their life look like in terms of income fluctuation? And uh, for example, we have, we have found that about 70% of our customers report that they have income fluctuations of about 33%, uh, which is a large number. And about most of those are about $200 or more. Um, and this results from irregular work schedule and sometimes because of the gig economy. And there was another study, I think it was done by the, the federal government, that asked people, uh, families, if they had an emergency need for about $400, and could they accommodate that through their savings? And nearly 50% of U.S. families said that they can't cover even $400 of emergency with their savings. And that number to me is like astonishing. What else? There's another really interesting study that I recently looked at from the uh, CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And they did a really interesting study about what they call the credit invisibles. And so we talked about low credit scores, but there's also people who just don't have a credit score. And what that means is that they, they're sometimes called unscorables. And the, the credit scores have a certain thresholds that they apply. They say if you, ha if you don't have an activity of some kind of credit or debt credit lines for a certain amount of time, we can score you. So it turns out, according to the study, that 49 million Americans, at the time the study was done, of course, kind of can't be scored by the traditional FICO-like scores. Um, and out of those, 26 million are sort of, have no credit file at all. So you, you can score because they have nothing. And about 19 million are what they call thin file customers. Those are people who just, they have a little bit, they just started, but their file is not long enough, hasn't been uh, long enough, or is not big enough that, again, the, the scoring systems just kind of ignore them. So I think that's a, a very, very interesting study and shows that there's a lot of people that are just outside of the system. And, you know, 49, 50 million people is a lot of people. Mm. So, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about the alternative data sources, and certainly there is a, an open question as to whether these are sources that lead to discrimination or fair lending practices. But Regardless, companies are using these alternative data sources like cell phone data, and 
the companies who have the the largest repository of data are the Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple type of companies. Do you see these becoming finance or lending companies? Wow, I don't know. I think they have they do have a lot of data. I don't know for sure, but my guess is that they're probably looking at the finance space with interest and exploring it. But I think there's a big difference between that and becoming actual, you know, actors, like primary actors, like becoming lenders or becoming something like that. But I would, I would venture to guess that they probably, they probably do look into that in the financial space and, and explore it because they do have a lot of data. Data doesn't have to be used for underwriting, though. It can be used for other types of activities that happen in the financial space. So I think the value of, of the Facebooks and the Googles of the world in that sense is, is, is broader than just like being able to underwrite somebody for a loan. Do you have any predictions for how cryptocurrencies are going to affect lending? Ooh, Bitcoins. I think, uh, yeah, I think I have a couple of thoughts on that. So first, I think the fact that um, you could move money uh, quickly is really important. I mean, we do that, as I mentioned earlier, we have the ability to get uh, money relatively quickly and not have to wait, you know, two or three days to get your money from the more physical branch bank is sometimes very, very important for a lot of borrowers. And so I think that trend of instant getting the cash more more quickly, I think will, will continue to become important. And I think the cryptocurrencies, the, the Bitcoins of the world definitely have a... a something to play in that space. I think the, but, I, but other than that, you know, I'm not sure how it will play out in terms of uh, will people be able to, will vendors be able to provide the loans and get them paid off in cryptocurrencies? Sure, I think that'll be possible at some point if it, you know, if people trust it and it's safe enough. I think the other interesting question is, what would that do like internationally? Like would, would it allow more lending to happen across borders and things like this? But it's way beyond my level of sort of understanding about the legal and regulatory challenges with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess as we draw to a close, what kind of engineering initiatives are you focused on right now at LendUp? Well, uh, where can I start? We have, we have a, a lot of work in front of us. I think I'm closer to what we're doing in sort of more the data science and the, and the data engineering side. Maybe I can talk a little bit about that, but there's, there's maybe other people who can talk about some of the, the other engineering efforts. But generally, we're, we're, we continue to be very focused on continuing to develop our stack uh, to be able to do stuff in a more agile manner. Again, being accurate is something that I think is, is different in many companies that I've seen before, in a sense that when you deal with money, you have to be accurate. You gotta invest. Uh, you can be like, eh, it's roughly this amount. You have to be exactly correct because it's people's money. So in other fields, if you're, you know, in, in, uh, if you're off by you know, a certain percentage on, on a number that ranks something on the website, for example, maybe it's not that bad. But I think in, in lending and in finance in general, it's, it's very, very important. So we find that we, we do a lot of work in that. In terms of data engineering, we again keep investing in our ability to 
to we're a very data driven company so like most other companies in Avala we have a really strong stack and use a, a bunch of different modern open source tools to manage and, and, and deploy our systems and make sure that they're reliable and you know SLAs are kept and things of that nature and I mentioned our you know, scoring engine before Leviathan I think we continue to get a lot of benefit from that and as we develop new techniques and new things that we want to deploy in our models, we'll continue to evolve that tool as well. All right, Ofer. Well, it's been great having you on Software Engineering Daily, and I wish you the best of luck with LendUp. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure.